It's hard to believe 2021 is almost over. We kicked off the year with an insurrection and we're still living in a pandemic. But we wanted to take some time to remember the stories that brought us joy, or at least entertained us. We decided to break it into categories, the things we watched, the celeb moments we couldn't stop talking about, the music that topped our Spotify rap list, and the industry shakeups that are sure to bring changes for years to come. Welcome to Pop Culture. I'm Bridget Armstrong. Today, on the last show of 2021, we try to remember a year that seems to defy time. After being confined to our home, 2021 somehow felt like the longest and shortest 365 days ever. We're going to talk about a few of the pop culture stories we couldn't turn away from, starting with all the stuff we watched. 2021 was not the year of the blockbuster movie, although a few of you got really excited about Doom, and Spider-Man No Way Home and Matrix Resurrections came in just under the buzzer. But the big winner this year was streaming services. From Apple TV Plus to HBO Max to Disney Plus, streamers really stepped up their game in 2021. Disney Plus kicked off the year with WandaVision and kept it up with a slate of Marvel Universe spinoffs. It's Twilight Time. Wanda and Vision, aren't we a five-pack? Mr. Barnes, why does Sam aggravate you? 15 seconds to drop! So what's our plan? I am Loki. And I am burdened with glorious purpose. Unbelievable, wherever you go, it's just death, destruction, the literal ends of worlds. I know. Apple TV won big at the Emmys with Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso welcome wagon has arrived. And while the HBO Max app is still the worst, the shows on there are not. HBO actually gave us a lot to watch this year. White Lotus, Love Life Season 2, Hacks, Mayor of Easttown, the Sex and the City reboot, the final season of Insecure, and of course, Succession. Come on, Dad, what are you going to do with the five bill? Huh? Put it on your pile with all your other f- bill? Mm-hmm, probably, yeah. And what are we supposed to do? Make your own f-ing pile. But of all the streamers, Netflix was the one that really won big with its sleeper hit, Squid Game. With that, let the game begin. This fall, Squid Game Green mania light. took over. The Korean series became a worldwide cultural phenomenon. For weeks, conversations about Squid Game dominated social media. The red light, green light girl was everywhere. Chrissy Teigen threw an ill-conceived squid game party, and it got really hard to find a green tracksuit around Halloween. Turns out, the show about broke people playing deadly games for money resonates with a lot of folks. It wouldn't hurt to be in a group, so we're ready for anything. Yeah, quite a team we've got going here. Damn, let's do this. (laughs) And while the anti-capitalist messages weren't lost on audiences outside of Korea, some of the show's translations were. And we talked about that on this podcast with mental health advocate Sharon Kwan. It felt traumatizing and addicting at the same time. I think it really highlights what's going on in the world right now in a way that is very visceral and shocking. Sharon pointed out that while the major themes of the show were evident, some of the more nuanced aspects were lost in translation. Honorifics and titles are very important in Korea. We almost never call each other by name and refer to each other by our title based on our relationship. As the games begin and the players get acquainted with each other, Ali, 
he calls all of his peers Hajangnim, which is really a title that's used um, to refer to like a CEO or the boss of a company or even just small business, basically any business owner. And Netflix just translates this to sir. And I really believe this minimizes the impact because, you know, Ali is basically declaring that he's inferior compared to the rest of the characters. So as the games progress and the alliances are formed, Kihan and Sangwoo, they become, you can visibly see them become uncomfortable because Ali keeps calling them his boss. Netflix has invested a lot in international programming and making sure that programming is accessible to audiences around the world. But obviously, they still have some work to do when it comes to accurate representation. And looks like they have a chance to get it right. We hear Squid Game Season 2 is in the works. TV wasn't the only thing we couldn't stop watching. There were some major celebrity moments that blew up this year. Billionaires Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson went to space and took a few celebrities with them. Now, I'm an adult in a spaceship with lots of other wonderful adults. Kim and Kanye called it quits. Then she showed up to the Met Gala looking like she just stepped off the set of American Horror Story. Rihanna became a billionaire with her empire of clothing, makeup, skincare, and lingerie. R. Kelly was finally convicted of racketeering and sex trafficking. Dave Chappelle pissed a lot of people off with his Netflix special, The Closer. And Tom Holland and Zendaya confirmed that they're an idol. J.Lo and Ben Affleck took it back to 2002 and rekindled their love affair. Chrissy Teigen's online bullying finally caught up with her. A Travis Scott festival turned deadly. And tennis star Naomi Osaka and gymnast Simone Biles sat on the sidelines to prioritize their mental health. When we were thinking about the biggest celeb stories of the year, there were two that rose to the top of that list. First, the royal interview heard round the world. Back in March, CBS aired a two-hour special where the Duke and Duchess of Sussex sat down with Oprah for a rare tell-all. 17 million people tuned in to hear Harry and Meghan spill the tea on why they chose to walk away from the royal family. Concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born. What? There is a conversation. Hold up. Hold up. There's Stop several right now. There are several conversations. There's a about conversation it. with you. With Harry. About how dark your baby is going to be? Potentially, and what that would mean or look like. Ooh. And you're not going to tell me who had the conversation? I think that would be very damaging to them. My favorite moment from the interview was when they revealed that Tyler Perry loaned them a mansion and security detail after their royal paycheck stopped coming in. Talk about have and have nots. But the celebrity who had us talking the most was... It's Britney, bitch. Britney Spears won her battle to end her decade-long conservatorship, and free Britney supporters all over the world rejoiced. Under the conservatorship, the pop star couldn't legally make decisions about her life or finances. Britney and the conservatorship was the subject of several documentaries that came out this year. And for the last few years, fans rallied around the Free Britney movement. Earlier this year, in a dramatic testimony, Britney spoke out about the conditions of her conservatorship for the first time since it was put in place. But last month, a judge ruled that Britney was finally free from the legal arrangement. Now that she's free, we might even have some new music to look forward to in 2022. 
Just last week, she posted a video on IG singing in front of a mirror, and she even teased a new song. I want you to know just what I Speaking of artists that we've been following, let's talk about the music we couldn't stop listening to. We'll start with the Queen Bee. Okay, wait a minute. History has just been made. Breaking the all-time record for the most Grammy wins ever by any female artist or any singer, male or female, the Grammy goes to Beyonce. This year, Beyonce officially broke records and became the most awarded and most nominated female artist by the Grammy. This is so overwhelming. I've been working my whole life, since nine years old, and I'm, I can't believe this happened. It's such a magical night. Thank you so much. R&B singer Jasmine Sullivan dropped Hotels, and NPR just named it the album of the year. Do yourself a favor and go check out her Tiny Desk concert if you haven't already seen After a six-year hiatus, Adele came back with new music with her latest album, 30. Doja Cat also dropped a new album and pissed a lot of people off by winning the Best R&B Album Award at the AMAs. Tyler, the creator, showed us his softer side with Call Me If You Get Lost, and we got an album from newcomer Baby Keem. After a lot of anticipation, Drake made it official and dropped Certified Lover Boy, and Olivia Rodrigo had us reminiscing about our teenage crushes and heartbreaks with Driver's License. Speaking of nostalgia, Anderson Pock and Bruno Mars, known as Silk Sonic these days, left the door open to our hearts with a new album that's just the right mix of old school vibes and comedy. Wait a minute, this love started off so tender, so sweet. But now she got me smoking out the window. Mm. 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 <sighs> Must have spent 35, 45,000 up in Tiffany's. Oh, no. Got a badass kids running around my whole crib like it's Chuck E. Cheese. But... The artist who topped our Spotify rap list and just had a hell of a year, literally, was Lil Nas X. He's come a long way from Old Town Road. This year, he released his debut album, Montero, and we saw him really step into his own. He slid down the pole to Hades to give the devil a lap dance and shocked audiences at the MTV VMAs where he took home the Video of the Year award. Wow! Wow! Oh my God. Okay, first, first I wanna say, I wanna say thank you to the gay agenda. Let's go, gay agenda! The BET Awards, his kiss with a backup dancer had people talking for weeks. Lil Nas X is unapologetic about who he is as a gay black man, and he's used this platform to challenge norms around the way queer men can express themselves. And he's just so damn good at everything he does even when he's responding to trolls and haters. Seriously, releasing his album with a pregnancy announcement that used images of himself knocked up was genius. So many times this year, Lil Nas X pushed the boundaries of what it means to be an artist, and I can't wait to see what he'll do next year. All right, let's stay on the topic of music and talk about two album drops that shook up the entertainment industry. Taylor Swift re-recorded two of her early albums, Fearless and Red, after a long battle to gain control of her masters. I made it very clear that I wanted to be able to buy my music. That opportunity was not given to me. 
and it was sold to somebody else. And so I just figured I was the one who made this music first. I can just make it again. Yeah. So that's what we're doing. The re-recorded songs sound a little different from the originals, but the Swifties are here for it. Now, several other artists are planning to follow Taylor's lead and re-release their own albums, including R&B singer Ashanti. The Always On Time singer announced that she would be re-recording her self-titled debut album after getting the rights to her masters. Understanding what you're signing is so imperative and so important nowadays. Um, the fact that I'll be able to re-record my first album and put everything together. Wait, that's the big announcement. I was going to build up to that. <laughs> oh. Ashanti <laughs> is re-recording. So maybe next year will be the year of the re-release. There were a few other stories that brought about major changes in the entertainment industry, including the strike that never was. The International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, or IATSE, represents many of the folks who work behind the scenes to make movie and TV magic. After working long hours and sometimes hazardous conditions during a pandemic for little pay, the workers said enough and threatened to go on strike. But it was called off after they came to an agreement with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. I guess no one wanted a repeat of what happened with the 2007 writer's strike. Sticking with Hollywood, the Golden Globes fell from grace after years of criticism about the organization's lack of diversity. Until recently, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, that is the group that chooses the nominees and winners for the Golden Globes, had no black members, none. And in an incredibly tone-deaf and cringe response to the criticism, the Globes asked Snoop Dogg to announce the nominees. Karan, no, Karen Hines, Belfast, work with me now. Ben Affleck, Ben Affleck, my fault. <laughs> Sorry about that, Ben. The Golden Globes did add new black members to the association, but many are saying that's still not enough. And NBC said that they won't even air the award show until the HFPA gets its act together. So it looks like the Golden Globes has a lot of work to do in 2022. Now, those were just some of the big stories that shook up their industries. But the biggest shakeup this year involved video games and Wall Street. Good evening, newly minted Reddit millionaires. I'm sure all of you are watching this from the marble bathtubs on your hovercraft. Thanks to your savvy stock market manipulation. The GameStop controversy proved that even a regular Joanna can take on Wall Street and win. Well, maybe not win, but definitely piss off more than a few traders. You may be wondering why this made it to the top of our list. Obviously, GameStop versus Wall Street went viral, but it did more than that. And all you have to do is scroll your timeline on Facebook and Twitter to see the effects. Not even a year after Reddit investors shut down Wall Street, everyone is an expert. It all apparently started on Reddit when the community behind the subreddit Wall Street Bets got together to stick it to short sellers and hedge funds. The idea was to buy up GameStop stock to drive up the price, and they did just that. A few months before this elaborate plan, one share of GameStop costs about $6. And one point in this controversy, the amateur investors drove the stock up all the way to $469 a share, something that cost traditional hedge funds millions of dollars. In response, in a very unpopular decision, 
the investment app Robinhood froze trading to stop the Reddit investors from driving up the stock prices even more. But for a few brief days on Wall Street, it seemed like the little guy had finally beat big business. But that feeling was short-lived, other than a big payout for a few individual investors. The shakeup did put a lot of brokers and firms on notice about the power of amateur investors, and it empowered a lot of regular folks to pay more attention to Wall Street. So here's to 2021. A year that was definitely better than the year before, but still not great. It's been a terrible year. Okay, before we go, we do have a treat for you. It's one of my favorite conversations from this year. It's my conversation with Tan France from Queer Eye. If you've been listening to the show, you know we've had fashion on the brain for a while. It started with the episode we did last month on fast fashion and why it's a problem. And we also talked to the incomparable Dwayne Wade about his iconic looks. But if you want inspiration and a cure for the overshot bad sweater blues, there's really only one person to talk to. Hello, everyone. My name is Tam France. I am one of the hosts of Netflix's Queer Eye and also the co-host of Next in Fashion. On each episode of Queer Eye, Tan works with good people who just need a little fashion help. He helps those folks figure out looks they can maintain and gives them the confidence to pick out a great outfit on their own. And of course, he looks great while doing it. So I started our conversation by asking Tan how he stays so fly. You have such wonderful style yourself. And I'm wondering, what was your journey to getting to your own personal style? How did you sort of figure out your look and what you like and what works for you? Um, it's a process and it's ever evolving. I, I still change it up regularly. I've been playing with clothes since I was like seven or eight and trying to figure out what makes me feel good. So it's never about, oh, is this aesthetically pleasing to everybody in the world? I'm always going to offend somebody with something I put on my body. They're not going to love it all. And so I stopped caring as much about what everybody else thought and just thought, what makes me feel really nice? What makes me walk with an extra pep in my step? And it's not just the clothes, it's everything. It's the shoes, it's the, it's, it is my hair. It's all those things that come together that make me feel a certain kind of way. And I would like to believe that that's what people know me for on Queer Eye. It's so rare that I'm putting somebody in a hot trend or something that I would wear. I'm putting them in something that I truly think will help them feel better. The best version of them, not me. We asked Tan about how we can tap into that feeling. In a world where fast fashion trends are all over Instagram and where it can start to seem like everybody's wearing the same thing, how can we find a style that's our own, doesn't break the bank, and looks good? I don't love a trend. I've never loved a trend. I don't like being told by some random lady in a tower in New York or in London saying, you should all be wearing this. I think the whole world should wear this. No, thank you very much. I'll decide what feels good on me, what looks good on me. And so I would suggest we stop playing into every trend, pick and choose what actually could make sense for you long-term, stop buying things that will only last you three to six months and purchase things that will hopefully last you years and years and years. And where possible, go thrift shopping. Help that be supplemental, like have that be an extra piece that gives you that little bit of edge that makes you look different from everybody else. There are so many ways you can buy clothes these days. It's not just, I've got to go to the mall and that's my only option. You can get things from all over the world. I think that now, if we can't be creative in this day and age, we never will be. 
So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of your favorite, most iconic style moments from history. Things that have stood out for you or even things that sort of helped shape your personal style. I know you don't follow trends, but something that maybe inspired you. Um, oh gosh, this is going to um, sound ridiculous because I, was, I couldn't do this because I was in a working class poor family. However, what were they called the new look in the 40s, really late 40s? After the Second World War, so during the war, material fabric was rationed. And so after the war, designers, most importantly Christian Dior, created what they called the new look, which is where they had really full skirts and loads of fabric. But the new look was definitely something that I was inspired by. I thought it was iconic. The oranges and browns of the 70s were just beautiful. They made a major comeback. They don't really go away. Suiting the way it was created in the 70s with a really bold shoulder, not shoulder pads, but really bold shoulder, that's still a thing today. With women's wear, we're seeing that 70s style tailoring come back. It's, it's been on the runway this season. The 80s, even though I hate so much about the 80s, if you watch shows like Golden Girls or Designing Women, yes, I'm clearly homosexual. Um, those two shows are fascinating. The women on those were some really creative stuff that wasn't really around before the 80s. And then we see, in my opinion, iconic looks today. I mean, we saw Billy Porter in that tuxedo dress. That was a reference to somebody else's iconic look from uh, years back, but it was iconic. And then there was a dress that Kate Blanchett wore on the Oscars red carpet. It was, oh my gosh, I'm going to go insane that I can't remember who it was. She won she. It was um, Cerulean and Lilac, and it was one of the most beautiful dresses I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. And then there's a girl called Emma Corrin who played Princess Diana on The Crown. And she wears a lot of Schiaparelli. And I think she's iconic. Amazing. I love all of those. Especially the Golden Girls reference. I, too, am a Golden Girls lover. And Rose was fly. Rose could really dress. She looked like she had really nice feet. Sometimes Blanche, too. Blanche, too. Yeah. But they, they did my girl Dorothy wrong. They did her so dirty. You know, actually... Who's down low, the best dressed on Golden Girls? Sophia. Mm. Just go back and watch. I watch it every day. Go back and watch. Me too. She has some <laughs> wicked dresses or some wicked outfits. She looks so chic. Like, if you were to put that on Gigi Hadid and send her down a runway, you'd be like, yeah, that's correct. That's, you would You would wear that in a heartbeat today. She was so, so stylish. Yeah, Sophia's actually the best dressed on the show. All right. Hot take. Sophia's the best dress. Yeah. And if that wasn't enough to make you want to be Tan France's new best friend, sorry, that role has already gone to me, he also took some time to tell us about a new campaign he's working on. It's called the Nail Me Campaign, and it's all about helping people with severe eczema feel comfortable in their skin and their clothes. He first started thinking about this when he and the rest of the Fab Five were in Austin, Texas, shooting the next season of Queer Eye. 
I went to dress this girl. I wish I could say her name, but I'm not allowed to do that. I desperately wanted to take her to a vintage store. And the producers were like, you won't know until you meet her. She'll tell you why a vintage store is difficult. I was like, oh, that's strange. And then she explained that with people who have really severe eczema, you find it difficult wearing certain fabrics because it agitates your skin. And so learning what they can wear, what they can't wear, and what might help them feel better within their skin was fascinating. And so it, once I started partnering on this project, I was like, holy heck, I know exactly how to help this girl. I actually have family members who have eczema and I had no idea how it affected how they perceive themselves and how they can dress. I dress people for a living. I had no idea that people with eczema had certain restrictions. And anybody who wants to learn more, please go to thenami.com. And then, uh, speaking of other lovely people, Queer Eye season six, we shot in Texas, Austin, Texas. It's coming out so soon. And it's our best season yet, without a doubt. Thank you so much for talking to me. Lovely talking to you. Be sure to check out Tan on the latest season of Queer Eye. It drops on New Year's Eve. And that's it for us today. I'm Bridget Armstrong, host and senior producer of the show. But before we go, I want to tell you about my favorite thing from the year. It's being able to work with the amazing people who make this podcast every week. The show's producer is Alicia Key. Andrew Calloway is our senior engineer. Our director of audio is Graylin Brashear. Thanks to Kira Long and Alex Carr for your help this week. And we'll be back next week in the new year with a very special episode. In the meantime, be sure to rate, subscribe, and tell a friend.